Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001. And you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we catch up with Cristiano Simonetta, class of 2014. We are going to see how Cristiano's prodigious talent as a talking toddler, his love of hockey, and his tenacity to knock on doors that opened opportunities that ultimately led him to become a professional hockey broadcaster. Joining us today is Cristiano Simonetta. Uh, Cristiano, what is it that you do? Uh, so I am uh, the director of communications and broadcasting for the Lincoln Stars, which is a junior hockey team in the United States Hockey League, the USHL. And I'm basically uh, a Swiss army knife. I, I do a lot of things. I handle everything from communications, whether it's social media, whether it's broadcasting, all the way to marketing and, and uh, press releases and all the different hockey ops stuff uh, that comes out of our team. So I do a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats and uh, I'm very glad to be able to do it. Wow. Well, now you've just opened up like five different avenues of questioning for me because I, I was <laughs> thinking about uh, just the the broadcast angle. But now that you're handling uh, basically the social media and so many other communication wings of this, this is fascinating. So, all right, let's let's uh, let's start off with how did you come to love hockey and and let's go to from the moment that you knew that this was the path that you wanted to to go down. How how did that begin? You know, it's a very unique one, Brian, and I like to answer this question the same way every time I hear it. I was just two years old and, and I wanted attention. Um, I remember uh, my mom telling me the stories of my dad watching hockey games and my family watching sporting events. My dad has been a season ticket holder to the Chicago Blackhawks since the early 1980s, so their games were always on TV and, and listening to them on the radio, and I wanted to steal the spotlight, so I just started babbling when I was two years old, and ever since then, uh, broadcasting somehow has found its way into my life. So you could basically uh, blame two-year-old me uh, with a big ego. And 22 years later, uh, I'm doing everything that I've always set out to do at the USHL level, and I can't wait to keep moving forward. So at some point, though, you know, just what seems to be something that you do just kind of clowning around the house really becomes something that like, wait, I want to do this. And you don't just... This is this is a, a craft, right? Not everyone can speak with infuse analytics and recall for player names and anecdotal evidence to kind of keep the flow going. How do you work on your craft to do what you do in real time? Because uh, it's one thing to perform it. It, it, it. I think there's a lot more preparation that goes on than what people probably just hear when you're on the microphone. What's that whole process like? Yeah, well, it's a long process. It starts uh, in the early portions of the week when I uh, get the opponent uh, and find out who we're playing against. And luckily, we get a couple of months in advance when the schedule gets announced. But uh, you you deal with it mostly on a 10-day basis. So the early portions of, of that sequence, I'm getting ready to, just to memorize names. Then you memorize where they're from. You memorize their handedness. Are they a left-handed shooter? Are they a right-handed shooter? Are they five foot seven? Are they six foot four? What type of stick do they use? What color stick do they use? Because when you're up there from the 200 level in these arenas, in these big, big arenas, you don't have a lot of time to uh, make a guess. You know what I mean? It, hockey is constant improvisation. And 
it's the fastest sport to call. I think it's the toughest sport to call, not just because I do it, but just because uh, I appreciate the people that do it well. And yeah, it's a lot of hours staring into my computer, writing down notes. And I always tell uh, aspiring broadcasters, don't worry about uh, writing down stats that you're not going to end up using because the one stat that you do end up using, it could be a very, very significant one and something that a lot of other broadcasters could skip. So it's so much research. It's so much time, so much devotion. But the payoff is is something that I can't even describe. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's I, I can't imagine how fun it must be to talk about the thing that you love every day, uh, which is sports, hockey, and then just to be in the thick of it. Um, what a what an incredible opportunity. So let's let's go back to, though. So you graduate from uh, WeGo. What's the next thing that you do to, to begin the, the path to uh, to where you are now? So yeah, probably when I was a junior in high school and you take the ACTs and you make sure uh, you get your college applications ready and you visit some schools. Uh, I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and took a look. And the first thing I noticed uh, was obviously the big uh, Memorial Stadium. You had State Farm Center where the basketball team plays, but I wanted to know where they played hockey. I knew that they had a club uh, hockey team, so it wasn't NCAA, but I knew they had a hockey team. I went right to the rink and I Walked up to someone uh, who I, I assumed was important just because they knew that uh, uh, they knew what they were doing. And it turns out they ended up connecting me with uh, the broadcaster for the team. So already when I was in high school, I, I had a good uh, network of where I wanted to go. And they had a opening on the, the club hockey broadcast just for, you know, someone uh, to join in a couple of years if the spot was still open. And I graduated in 2014. And a couple months later, I was on the airwaves on WPG 1071 in Champaign-Urbana at the University of Illinois broadcasting hockey. So I did that for four years, but at the same time, I was covering uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues for a couple of publications. One was Last Word on Sports. Another one was the Hockey Writers, and I was credentialed. I was a writer at 18 years old, going into locker rooms and uh, interviewing players that I had aspired to meet and, and even be as a younger a younger uh, hockey fan you, you obviously want to be a hockey player I was an athlete I played three sports uh, at West Chicago but it was crazy just uh, to get all these opportunities at a very young age I was extremely fortunate and blessed and, and heck I still am but going to the University of Illinois definitely shaped me uh, and and honed my my skill set but it starts in West Chicago really with the Mr. Jennings broadcasting class getting in front of the camera and continuing to be more and more comfortable because you can never be too comfortable when you're in front of the camera when the red light is on. Yeah, Mr. Jennings is going to love hearing that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to pump his ego too much. But uh, yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah, he's going to love that. So, but yeah, he's uh, that. So that is so great that I, I just love the the type of uh, initiative that you took because you knew th- this is what you wanted, and really just it's amazing how just knocking on doors can open them really the, and with what your story uh, is that you just, you knew how to find someone and look, look at how it just began this whole new pathway for you. I, I want to go back to something that you said before about becoming a credentialed writer for those uh, publications. Do you remember how that started uh, and, and how you, how you began writing and, and what, what was the whole, like as a, as a, someone who comments on sports, What's maybe some of the things that you you look at? Actually, I've, I've loaded you with too many questions, so let me let me back <laughs> up with that. So, um, how did you how did you begin your writing uh, and to become credentialed 
at uh, for these publications. That's such a that's such a cool angle uh, as well. That that happened before uh, U of I. Yeah, so I was actually uh, at 16 years old. I was covering uh, the Chicago Wolves through actually something called the Writing Chance Program, and her name escapes me. And I'm, I really get frustrated about this, but I, I assume Mr. Jennings will remember. But uh, some teacher who had no idea, like I'd never um, met this teacher. I never had her for any of my classes, but she heard what I wanted to do and she forwarded Mr. Jennings along some information on this program with the Chicago Wolves. And you basically you it was would- Was it Miss Keen? Maybe our-, our um, Maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe because I owe, I owe her such a debt of gratitude and I oh, did at the time, it? but it's ever since uh, the years gone by. But yes, definitely that, that sounds familiar. But um, so I was 16 years old. I applied for this program and I was covering games at the American Hockey League level. So the minor hockey league level uh, when I was 16. So from 16, I did that. And uh, when I was 17, when I was 18, I was writing for these publications. And um, the weirdest part, and I apologize for going on an ensuing tangent, but when I was 18 years old, I emailed a, a writer uh, that I really liked. His name was Michael Russo um, for the Minnesota Wild. He covered uh, for the Minnesota Star Tribune. And he had wrote a story about um, Zach Parise, the captain of the Minnesota Wild, and he st- uh, at the time, Zach Parise, number 11, and his dad, JP Parise, who used to be an NHL player, he had lung cancer. And my dad had lung cancer in 2007, stage four lung cancer, inoperable. Um, I'm going to cross over a really crazy story, but my dad ended up surviving. He, he had a miracle, uh, no chemo, no nothing. And that, that affects me a lot. That's one of the, the biggest reasons why I continue to go forward is because of my dad and his perseverance. And Zach Parise's dad uh, had lung cancer and Zach had this incredible sentiment about uh, watching his dad be sick and all this stuff. And Russo covered the story in a tremendous way. So I wanted to email him and say, hey, uh, this story was awesome. It made me extremely emotional. And it's everything uh, why I want to be in this community and in this sport to to cover these guys' stories. Russo, of course, emailed me back. And you just email an email address. You don't actually think people are going to respond back. But Russo did. And he invited me to lunch in a couple of weeks when he was back in Chicago. So I sat down for lunch with him and he's like, hey, do you want to come to an NHL game with me? I'll get you credential. So that's the that's the story of my first actual NHL game. And it was in St. Louis and I love the St. Louis Blues. So I was actually going to St. Louis to cover the team as a credentialed reporter when I was 18 years old. So a lot of information there throughout that uh, segment. But it's extremely lucky. And and I keep saying the word blessed, but I really am. And I like to consider my life uh, the Truman Show. I assume you've seen that film uh, because it's just uh, it just seems like I get these these very fortunate breaks, and uh, I've just been able to do what I've wanted to do. Um, not so much that it's uh, I haven't suffered any adversity, but that's how it happened when I was 18 years old, and I, I was in the locker room in St. Louis. And now, how do you find your way into uh, into the Lincoln Stars? How did how did this happen? So that's also a very funny story. Um, so in 2019, uh, 20, so uh, right after I graduate in 2018. Um, I'm really struggling for broadcasting jobs. They, they're asking for eight years of experience in the industry, 10 years of experience in the industry. And of course, these were big, big jobs, minor league hockey jobs, professional hockey league jobs. And I just, I was losing out. I was getting very close. I almost moved out to Maine. I almost moved out to Portland, Oregon. I was very close in, in different jobs. So a couple of months uh, after um, the summer, uh, my friend Jeremy Rutherford, who covers the St. Louis Blues and has for about 15 years, he asked me to work with him at The Athletic. So I'm working with him uh, in 2019-20 at The Athletic. We have a podcast together. I'm doing uh, a lot of media work with them. So the St. Louis Blues go on to win the Stanley Cup. 
uh, which is again, my, my favorite team. They hadn't won the Stanley cup since their, uh, I mean, never they'd won the Stanley cup since the, their appearance in the NHL in 1967. So that was a huge, uh, that was a huge moment for me. So right after that happens, I noticed that there's a job opening uh, for the Lincoln Stars in the USHL. And I had never even really heard of the team other than uh, someone I knew through mutual friends. His name was Biagio Lorario. He grew up in, I believe, around the, the Addison area. He was the captain for the team uh, probably in 2012, 2013. And uh, I said, OK, might as well apply for this job. Um, it's obviously not covering NHL hockey, but it's eventually what I want to do, right? So you're a, if you're a player, if you're a coach, you got to grind in the lower leagues, the minor leagues, and USHL is exactly that. And it, Lincoln is such a, a prestigious organization. It's been around actually since the year I was born, 1996. So everything kind of seemed to be aligning, and I applied, and they actually were about to hire someone in the next couple of days and they stopped the process for me and said, Hey, let's bring uh, this kid in for an interview. Let's talk to him. So I interviewed uh, with the owner of the team a couple of times. Um, and he's actually right from uh, Elk Grove. So huh. it's crazy. It's the coincidences are, are astounding. And uh, I eventually uh, got the, the job offer there. Um, and you know, it's 14 months or so later, August, uh, 2019, I started and to now, and I've loved every second of it. So what was your first, do you remember your first game that you called and uh, what were you, uh, were there jitters or were you kind of cool as a cucumber? Do you remember what that was like? Uh, yeah. So we were in Pittsburgh for the USHL fall classic. So it's this big, big uh, showcase where there's tons of NHL scouts. The, the, the stands are just packed with familiar faces in the hockey community. So yeah, I think uh, I was a little nervous, uh, some jitters, but I'm always like that before a broadcast. I think if uh, I wasn't nervous, there'd be a big problem um, because I do so much preparation. You do so much research and the sport itself, the game itself is just so fan, like just fascinating to me, every single part of hockey. And I get so amped up for the game and sometimes you could be like a player and you could get too high and maybe that'll, that'll hurt you in the beginning and you got to kind of sell your emotions down. But yeah, for me, they're a little bit, uh, some nerves, uh, peeking in, but you know, you got to trust your talents and you got to trust your work ethic to bring you through it. But, uh, it was, it's been such a fun time. Every single game I call, I never take it for granted. And especially after, uh, the beginning of the pandemic in March of, uh, 2020, you definitely appreciate it a little more too. So, you you mentioned earlier on in the interview that you are a like a, a Swiss Army knife, you know that you are a jack of many trades, you know in in what you do there. Um, how did you fall into some of the, your other work in terms of mon you, so you had mentioned even just brief just briefly uh, that you were also you have a podcast through the Athletic, and then you also have uh, you run maybe some of the social media. How how do you find managing all of those? Uh, all of those different platforms. It's definitely a battle. I think every single week, uh, Monday, we develop a content schedule. So I basically allocate my resources to the social media game and I run all social media. So everything you see posted on the Lincoln stars for the most part, unless it's during a game, it comes directly from my fingertips. So that comes with a lot of preparation in itself. Content creation, for example, before I spoke to you, Brian, I have been editing uh, a video for about five hours in oh. premiere. So big projects, uh, you know, from eight to five, I'm working at the rink and uh, from about 12 to 1.30 and then 1.30 to three, the guys are on the ice. So I'm gathering footage. I'm interviewing the guys. I'm interviewing the guys for fun videos. So my days are very, very jam packed and you really have to love what you do in anything. And it's not just what I do, but for everybody, in my opinion, obviously 
not everybody can do that, but I've certainly lucked out. So it doesn't really seem like work to me, but there are no days off in what I do. And especially now with uh, the shortened season due to the pandemic, we have no weekends off until late April, but you know, you just have to be devoted and you have to be able to have time management. And if you struggle in that regard, you're going to struggle, but it takes a couple of months, uh, for the, the feeling out process before you really hammer down, okay, this is what I need to do Monday. This is what I need to do Tuesday, Wednesday. And the games are usually Friday, Saturday. So I devote a lot of those later hours to the broadcasting part as opposed to the marketing and the social in the early portion. So I'm now going to ask you like some questions about you have a professional eye in terms of evaluating the game and players and all of that. How do you know a player is going to be next level? Like, what is it that you observe that's like that? I mean, there, there are the, there are the tangibles in the metrics and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but you know, as, as someone who's seen as many hockey players uh, as you have throughout your, you know, your, your keen eye, uh, even from high school and on, and now that you're seeing it even up close every day, what are those kind of X factors that you see uh, for someone who's on the ascent that's going to make it to the, to the bigs? Yeah, it's definitely uh, not something that someone can answer easily or else everybody would be a scout. And even the scouts don't even uh, know it, right? Like, have you ever seen the movie Moneyball? I mean, it's really... uh, It was in the back of my mind when I was asking the question. Of course. course. Um, But for me, it's... uh, And this will be a a nice little hockey answer for people that like hockey out there. And if they don't, maybe they won't uh, understand what I'm talking about. But for me, it's about what they do away from the puck. So obviously, when the eyes are on the player that has the puck and what they could do if they could shoot, if they could score. That's all great because you can dominate a level. You can dominate uh, just by being the fastest, by being uh, the strongest. But to be honest, uh, the hockey IQ and the brains of these players are something that stands out. So when they don't have the puck, how are they positioning themselves? Are they flying right past the net on an ensuing three-on-two? Are they staying at the front of the net in case there's a rebound? Are they supporting their defensemen if they're a forward? Like if they need to get the puck out of the defensive zone, are they being accountable? throughout all three zones. And I think that's where we see players that if they do that at this level, if they're not one dimensional, if they can play succinctly as a defensive player, as an offensive player, and just a neutral player, I think you find guys that are going to be really successful. Like for example, a player on our team, uh, Jake Boltman just got recently drafted um, in the 2020 NHL entry draft. And he's a defenseman that uh, doesn't show up often on the score sheet in terms of his goals but he just does everything right. And what do I mean by does everything right? He hits players. He's a leader in the locker room. He fights for loose pucks. It's a lot of effort and work ethic that really uh, singe into my mind when it comes to a player that I know is going to not only get to the next level, but succeed at the next level. It's those little intangibles, you prefaced that word earlier, that uh, really, really um, hint at guys going pro, but yeah, there's no right answer. There's no one direct answer. And I'd be lying to you if I had one, but yeah, just, uh, for me, it's about work ethic and and what they do when the bright lights aren't directly on them. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. Cause I, I I think we're always trained to follow the puck, you know, as you say, Mm -hmm. when you're watching the game, but it's, it's the other parts away, um, where, 
you have the vantage point because you're around them all day and you, um, your, your eyes aren't necessarily following what the camera is showing you. So mm-hmm. you, you get to see so many more, uh, qualities uh, of that or so elements of that. So let me ask you kind of like a broadcaster type question as well, which yeah. is you you must, you're processing so much information and all, and all of that. So how, how do you, prioritize what your brain is taking in and then what then comes out of your mouth in order to make everyone uh, value what you are interpreting to see what's going on uh, on the ice. I mean, there's a lot of, you have a lot of um, power to frame what it is that we're seeing uh, on the, for those that are watching uh, on, on the TV or on the radio. Is it also simulcast on radio as well? Yes. Yes. Our games are. So what's the, how do you, I'm just, I'm trying to just, I'm amazed at like the processing of all the things that you have to go through as you're calling the game. Um, how, how do you, how do you take note of like what it is that you have to say and, and, and prioritize what it is that's going on in, in the ice because there's action. And then there's times where there isn't maybe action going on that you have to fill with your voice What's that kind of ebb and flow like when you're you're uh, calling the game like that? Wow, that's a really good question, Brian. Um, for me, it's probably just what a fan would want to hear. If you're a fan of the Lincoln Stars and we're down three to nothing, what do you want to know? Maybe the body language. What do the guys look like when the whistles have gone? And and are players communicating with one one another? Are the coaching staff just absolutely giving it to the guys and lambasting them and just? You know, it's those little, little plays. And I love focusing on them during the game, too. Like, if there's a a really good pass, and it sounds really stupid, but if there's a really, really sharp pass from the defensive zone to the neutral zone, I'm going to mention it because, and I'm going to explain why that's so important. Because if you're a fan, if I just say, oh, pass the puck up ahead of the neutral zone, playing it down the right wing side, you don't really understand the importance of that but if i say oh uh, he uses the high glass to avoid an oncoming four checker as a puck hops directly onto the stick blah 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 so those little little extra details add to that experience both as a listener on the radio and even if you're watching it on tv because you can blink and, and hockey can you know there could be two or three plays that have resulted ever since you looked away from the tv so for me those little little plays it's kind of like evaluating talent I like to look at the plays that not everybody likes to talk about, but for diehard hockey fans are going to focus in on. And the way I do that is with the inflection of my voice. You'll hear me uh, get a little more enthusiastic if something really wows me. And if there's a really, really uh, sharp play made by either team, I like to showcase my enthusiasm because I'm strictly just a hockey fan. And I'll I'll make sure to embed uh, the video. I was on the webpage uh, last Friday, just kind of looking at all the different things that you had posted up there. And I want to say there was a YouTube video of you calling uh, a pretty incredible comeback. Was it like, were they down like three or four goals? Am I, am I remembering this correctly? Was that something that was on the, the stars webpage? Yeah. So that was actually our last game of the 2019, 20 season. We were down four to nothing after the first period in green Bay. So that was a game where, it looks like we're out of it. It looks like this is just going to be a seven to nothing. Just landslide. The guy shouldn't even play the second and third period. Let's just get on the bus and go home. But no, the the beauty of hockey and the beauty of that team in particular was that they just never said die. And to be able to call that game and recognize that the guys were going to put up a fight, not only uh, metaphorically, but there were a couple of fights that, that really turned the tide for us in that game because hockey in my opinion and fighting that relationship will should always be there in a safe capacity and 
uh, more on that uh, if we decide to go into it. But that game was so special to me because I had never called a game like that before. A, f- a five unanswered goal comeback um, after being down four goals in the first period. That's something that a lot of listeners may have turned off in the first period. But if you turn back on in the third when the game's tied, you hear me. And, and when you hear my voice when I'm excited or or just the little inflections, you know something's important because of the way I dictate it. And I think that's very important as a broadcaster that you have to do because if the broadcaster doesn't bring it, especially if you're listening on the radio, then you don't know what you're listening to. You don't know what the score is. You don't know what the importance of it is. And that's something that I really, really like to hammer home when something is important and when it's not, quite frankly. So, of course, I'm an English teacher and I want to know more about your analogy from to hockey to prize fighting. So I'm we'll <laughs> definitely uh, go back into that. But I, one of the things that uh, when you were talking about inflection and making sure that the tonality matches what is happening on the ice for an audience that can't see it. How did you train for that? Like, I mean, like, like how does a a broadcaster get ready for that? Like, did you just practice in front of a TV? Like, what is the, because I mean, you have an incredible flow and uh, you know, people who are going to listen to this will, will also uh, get this when they click on uh, the YouTube video that I embed uh, on the site. Uh, how did you prepare for the type of cadence and eloquence uh, to do that? Cause that, that doesn't happen naturally that that's something that comes with great practice how, how what was the whole how how do you get for lack of a better word the muscle memory to be able to articulate the way that you do and i uh well i don't mean a name drop but doc emmerich once told me um, that <laughs> i learned i learned through osmosis and yeah. from listening to guys like himself uh like blackhawks uh radio uh play-by-play announcer john weideman if you listen to doc if you listen to, to john those voices when you hear an octave go up or if it goes down you can tell what's happening on the ice and that's so important to me listening growing up and the way i practiced was very simple i had video games i had xbox and you have xbox live so you play with your friends and i still do it to this day my my friends from west chicago my friends from evergreen elementary school uh we still do it and they and they uh they're not sick of me just yet so that obviously uh it's such a fun thing to do, but yeah, you just practice, but you get an ear for things at an early age uh, from the people that you idolize and Doc and John and even a guy like Gary Thorne on ESPN uh, when hockey used to be on that network. Uh, they really brought it, and that sent a message to me that if you get an opportunity to do, to do this and to do this at any level, you better bring it, you better be passionate. And not I'm not talking about screaming the entire time because in my opinion, I don't think that's what I do and I don't think that's what any broadcaster should do, but... It's hockey. When there's a big moment, a show-stopping hit, a thunderous slap shot stopped off the pad, or something like a big goal tying the game late, you better bring it for your audience. And I like to think that I do that. Yeah, and, and I appreciate your level of um, of uh, of using parallel structure and what you just said right there. So I'm, the the English teacher in me is loving all of this. The, um, <laughs> well, tell yeah, another sure. name job. Tell Mrs. Stewart. She did a great job, Mrs. Stewart. Yeah, I will. I will. To love out. Uh, yeah, there's plenty. There, you're making a lot of uh, people happy here. Uh, so, uh, one other question uh, too, which what what's it like? Tra- so, do you travel with the team on you? Uh, you travel with the team on the road, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's what's uh, what's that like? It's it's awesome. I mean, I've never covered this level before. So obviously, I was covering the AHL. I covered club hockey, uh, American Collegiate Hockey Association, which is club hockey in the NCAA, but uh, or for 
I shouldn't say NCAA, but for schools like Illinois, they that are not NCAA, they have those programs. So I've been at that level. So the guys are my age, been the AHL, the NHL guys older than me for the most part. And then I go back to the USHL where they're 16 years old. We've got guys that are born in 2004, if that's going to scare anybody. I know it scares me, but uh, that are on the team. And you love to hear the the perspectives and, and the culture and my favorite part about being on the road with the guys is the camaraderie between the team, the brotherhood, but also learning about how they love the game and, and what steps they took to pursue uh, the devotion and to pursue their, their skill sets to uh, enhance them and get to where they are. I think I love those origin stories. I love pursuing the anecdotal evidence and uh, anecdotal you know stories that I bring up in the broadcast. I think you talked about that uh, earlier in the interview, but yeah, it's just, such a blast to get to know these guys. And I'm only 24. I was born in 96, so I'm not too far off. So the guys treat me like one of their own. And, and I golf with a lot of the guys uh, in the off season. So getting closer to those guys makes it easier for me, not only to broadcast uh, and know more about them, but they're comfortable with me. So they'll uh, do any video that I propose. Like we just did a video where they're guessing songs from the 1990s and some ah. people, and some people may not like players may not think that that's something worth their time after a hard day of practice where they just got bag skated after a weekend loss. But these guys are luckily they're, they're great guys and they always understand what I do. So that's why I understand what they do and appreciate what they do on that side too. So it's a lot of ebbs and flows, getting to know the guys and and finding out who's comfortable on camera, who isn't, but at the very least on the road, we have so much fun and the guys are always open for anything. Um, That's, that's so cool. Is there, is there a particular uh, city that you like to to travel to uh, the most? Um, I would say, you know, we were going to travel to Chicago and they play, uh, in Geneva, which was going to be really special, but obviously due to COVID, we were unable to travel uh, to the Eastern yeah, yeah. conference. We were in the Western conference and they play at Fox Valley ice arena. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. there. I live in Batavia. So I know exactly oh, where yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. but probably Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, they have this astounding, facility like 8,000 to 10,000 seat arena it's brand new and it really makes you feel like you're in the NHL and especially as a broadcaster too you're way up high and you've got your own setup and I don't really care about that stuff for the most part if whether I'm in the corner or whether I'm straight at dead center ice with people all around me or, or nobody within 200 feet um I don't really care too much about that but Sioux Falls really brings it the stampede uh, the Sioux Falls stampede I love going over there and I think we'll head there in a couple of months so I'm yeah, excited about that no. So uh, l- let me get into then some sports philosophy. Then you had mentioned this before, like you, you really like the comparison of hockey to uh, a prize fight. So I'm gonna let you tee off on that metaphor a little bit more. I just think that uh, fighting is policing the game. And when officials aren't there to protect the players, sometimes by their own fault, but sometimes by what the rule book indicates, uh, referees can be, you know, handcuffed in that situation. So for me in this league, you get five minutes for fighting and then you get an additional 10 minutes. So if a guy gets jumped, um, like let's just say one of our top scorers doesn't want to fight, but there's a goon on the other side. And I don't mean goon in a derogatory manner. I just mean a guy who likes to fight, uh, just drops the gloves with him and forces him to fight. You take out our top score for 15 minutes. So that's one part of the rule in the USHL that I don't like. But in terms of fighting, you need that because there is going to be human error. There are going to be missed calls. There are going to be teams taking advantage of others. And you go back to 
the great Wayne Gretzky, who wanted Marty McSorley on his team when he got traded for Los, uh, to Los Angeles from the Edmonton Oilers. Did you really think that Wayne Gretzky wanted Marty McSorley, <laughs> the hockey player? No, he wanted a guy who would watch his back and make sure he was able to play the game as freely as he could. Because when you have a team that's intimidating the opposition, whether it go, whether it comes to one or two guys that you know you will have to fight if you make a questionable hit on a superstar, I think it's just so important to police the game that way, to make sure everybody's safe and there are no liberties being taken by either side. So fighting for me should always be in the game. And boy, I love calling those fights. Uh, it makes me sound like uh, like I am watching a prize fight with uh, the heavyweights in this league. And in my opinion, glorifying the injuries and glorifying the knockouts, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, but definitely fighting will always have its place in my opinion. And I hope it stays that way until uh, the end of time. Cristiano, I usually end the interview with asking uh, the former WeGo grads about any type of advice for current WeGo students about how to approach uh, a successful uh, path. What would you advise? Yeah, that's another question where, there, where there's no right answer, and I think that's a good thing. Um, there's no one direct avenue that will lead you to success in any profession. There is not a blueprint that will tell you, this is where you need to be, this is where you need to be working, this is how much experience you need, this is uh, who you need to know. No, I, I think that is so far from the truth. To be honest with you, Brian, it's hard work. It's dedication. It's not wanting to go out on a, a particular Friday night because maybe you got to study or maybe you got to work some long hours. Um, I know that I've skipped my fair share of parties, whether it was in high school, whether it was in college. And I get that everybody wants to have a social life. But uh, the people that end up being truly, truly successful and and end up doing what they want to do. It's those who spend the extra hours. It's when uh, others are perhaps indulging in whatever they want to do. I don't mean to just uh, bash on partying because that would be a, a very hypocritical thing of me to say. But um, it's just so important to me that people love what they do and they work hard at what they do. And you got to just trust the process. I know it's the Philadelphia 76ers moniker, <laughs> but, it, but it, it really rings true in what I do and what a lot of my peers do. And what any successful person does, you're going to find adversity. You're going to be discouraged. There are going to be moments when you think, you know, do I really want to keep doing this? Do I really want to keep holding this pipe dream alive? And the answer is yes, until you're told no, right? I mean, if you're able to do what you love to do, and for me, it's when I was two years old. So to be 22 years later in this spot, it did not come easy, but the hard work and the uh, hours that I've logged are at the end of the day because I know where it's going to put me. So the short answer from that for all my uh, WeGo students listening and those aspiring to become successful. If you think uh, I'm successful in anything that I do, it, it really becomes uh, how hard you work at what you do and just be kind to other people too. I mean, everybody's got uh, stuff that uh, is bothering them. You don't know everybody's story and to really be empathetic and to reach out to one another and help each other, whether that's in a personal setting or a work setting, I think that's really important as well. Awesome. Cristiano, that was a great way to end the interview. So we will make sure that we put all links to the Lincoln stars uh, on the, uh, the show notes for, for the, uh, this episode. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Brian. Anytime you want to have me on, just let me know. Uh, for sure. We'll be, we'll be talking again. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple music podcasts and search. We go Vox. We go Vox.